Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today uh, through this podcast, our midweek discussion that we do each week, covering the sermon uh, that we focused on on Sunday morning uh, together as we worship together. We're in a series on worship. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at what is worship, who can worship. This week, our focus was who is the object of worship, or maybe better asked, who should be uh, the object of worship. And it actually is a tough question to tackle in one message. I would guess of the four of us, out of all of us, if, if, if all of us had this uh, question that we were supposed to answer as a sermon, we all probably would have done it different. I don't know. That's just my guess. What, what comes to your guys' mind, I guess, right off the bat? I say, in a sermon, you have to preach who is supposed to be the object of worship. How you how are you tackling that? What are you guys saying? Just off the top of your head, real I quick. say God. <laughs> God. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See you next week. Yeah. See you next week. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that could be a whole sermon series in itself. It's like, okay, let's explore who God is, right? Let's look at the Trinity and spend some weeks on that. Let's let's spend some time on his attributes and mm. who he is. And now let's spend some time on what he has done for mm. us. And when we take that whole sum of all those things together, this is who we worship and why we should be worshiping him, right? I don't know. It just felt like a very big, big uh, topic mm. to try to cover in in one week. And that's what we gave time to was just for one week. And so then the question was, well, how do you go about doing that well on on one week and for me it wasn't necessarily trying to do a summary of god real briefly i tried i thought it would be better to pinpoint on one attribute of of god that was my my goal Mm -hmm. and it was uh god's holiness Mm -hmm. was my thought so i i just wanted to give you guys an opportunity if you had a thought of maybe a different route you would have took or something no, I mean, I think I thought your sermon was really good, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. thought, um, uh, I think I, 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 one of the verses that always comes to my mind would be the first commandment, like what you touched on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's how I tried to start. Anyways. I think that's one of the most, mm-hmm. not the only place you could do it, but it's one of the most obvious places where you could, you could teach that, the answer to that question from. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I, I thought um, about reverence because that's something. You know, the fear of the Lord, you know, we don't hear that much. You Mm -hmm. don't hear about the fear of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Dr. Joel Beakey that gave a sermon after Congress passed the, the, you know, the the law as far as, you know, same-sex marriage. Like, we've lost the fear of of God in our society. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really good. And I think that's the route I would have probably taken would be reverence. And what does it mean to fear the Lord? And and why should we? And your, your passage in Exodus, I thought, was great. Because we do have this idea, like, that God's this kind of like cuddly teddy mm-hmm. bear that we can just, mm-hmm. you know, cuddle with him. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet the fear of the Lord is all throughout scripture and is mm-hmm. often missing, I think, when it comes to the practical, you know, Christian life. So mm-hmm. I think I would have gone that route too. So it was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ended with Hebrews 12, 28, 29 that talks about acceptable worship, <clears throat> revering and all. And actually that's going to come up again uh, in our series when we <clears throat> when we look at, how we are to worship him and how we are to approach worship mm. publicly together. Mm-hmm. Um, I have that kind of penciled in as, as hitting those mm-hmm. ideas again of what that, what that looks like. Uh, but there's going to be overlap, no doubt, as we go through this series, um, and that's okay. But, 
yeah, that idea of reverence and, and awe, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't mention it, but like you think about, um, that would make a good book title reverence and awe with reverence and all. Is that a book? You have it on your books. Oh yeah. You have it on your desk. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Did you ever read it to me? No. You want me to? Spencer reads my books to me. I just sit there (laughs) and say. Does he do that for you guys? Bedtime story. That's how I study. I put Tim to bed. Yeah. It's kind (laughs) of. It's awesome. He gets some of that, that warm milk in his belly. (laughs) (laughs) You guys have a very special relationship. (laughs) (laughs) He reads with reverence and awe to me. He's like my daughter. He makes me sing baby shark to him. (laughs) (laughs) With the hand motions and everything. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) That's oh, right. boy. So I tried my best to do like a little summary. Like Spencer said, we went to the first of the Ten Commandments. It's really you could go to the first two uh, if you wanted to do that. Um, but where he says there's no other guys before me. And really it was an interesting thing as I was studying. It, it got brought up, and I mentioned it Sunday, something I hadn't thought about, but just how the Egyptians had multiple gods mm. and how the Israelites had been in that for 400 years. Yeah. And so now they did have their oral tradition, right? They, they did know that they were different, that they served another God, but it, it might've been a little staggering for some of Israel to hear that of one mm-hmm. and only I'm it. Cause that was very foreign uh, from where they lived. Right. Yeah. And what they were doing. And so God establishes that right away with them that I'm the only God. I've redeemed you. I've, I've saved you from this bondage and you are my people and I'm getting ready to give you the law. And this is the covenant that we're making together. Mm-hmm. You're going to obey my law and I'm, I'm going to be your God and I'm going to protect mm-hmm. you and take care of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was, I felt a, a good place to start. And then um, I felt I needed to at least mention Trinity in the sermon. Uh, I didn't unpack it. I, I used the definition from Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms in which their definition of worship includes worshiping God through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. mentions the Trinity mm. in there. And so I thought that was a good definition to read again and to talk about briefly that this is, this is who we serve and this is who we worship. And it's important for us to remember, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, I think, um, it's one that Spencer Hugh listened to as well. And he was talking about God. And when he was, he was kind of comparing Old Testament worship to New Testament worship. And he said, listen, in Old Testament worship, they worshiped God the Father. And that was it. That was their focus, God the Father. He said, but in the New Testament, the New Testament church's worship is going to be different than the Old Testament worship in this is that we have Christ now. And it all has to be Christ-centered because of what he's done. He's our mediator who we go through to worship God the Father, right, to to worship God. And so we have to understand that. And then, you know, you have the Holy Spirit there leading, guiding, directing, and doing all this work. He said, so there is a, a difference there in... in Clarity. Yes. Yeah. The Trinity yeah. was always active in yeah. the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. Like there was a, with the New Testament light of the, the coming of Christ and the coming of the Spirit, there's a clearer revelation yes. of who God is in his three persons. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to sing songs about Jesus, the Son. Right. And that's an appropriate thing to do mm-hmm. in our worship, right? We're also going to sing songs, though, about God the Father. Right, we sing songs like that, and it's an appropriate thing to do. And we're going to recognize the Holy Spirit, hopefully, continually in our services, because it is He who enables us to be able to worship 
well, right? And to worship in spirit and in truth there. And so those are important aspects of our worship services that I'm sure we'll look at more as the series goes on. But I, I just wanted to at least make mention of that in the in the message because I, I thought that was important to do. Mm-hmm. And again, felt like I went too fast over it, but kind of had to. So then I did a little quick summary of some of the attributes uh, I could have went through. Um, just described them real briefly. And again, I just wanted people to get the feel in, in their hearts, I guess, and in their minds of like, yeah, God's always existed. Hmm, that would be a reason to worship somebody, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, he, he's never changed. I didn't even mention that one, I don't think. Mutability. Mm-hmm. Uh, his sovereignty, his all-powerful, all-knowing, all-presence, the fact that he is truth, that he is wisdom, that he's grace, goodness. He does have wrath, right? Uh, or God's love, right? These are some of his attributes that are a part of him, but that's not even talking about what he has done, right? And then it's like, well, let's talk about what he has done and see why we should worship him, right? And creator, sustainer, all these different things. Um, we live in a society that worships people, that worships things, and sometimes we worship people when they haven't even done anything yet, right? So uh, a good example that uh, most of you will understand, one of you might not, but if your team has the first pick in the draft, Scott, <laughs> if your team has the first pick in the draft, right, and you get the guy, go ahead, what are you going to say? I was going to say, I've played a game of dodgeball before where you have two team captains and they get to pick. Okay, yes. I understand okay. what the first okay. pick is. Okay. Right. Okay, I didn't know. Okay. Just, All right. Just I'm to... usually not the first pick. It's all right. Tom Brady wasn't the first pick either. No, yeah. So you're kind of like Tom he Brady. He's almost at the last. Yeah. Yep. And he's the best ever, so mm-hmm. it's okay. There you go. That's great. But what happens is the town, the city, will surround their support around this person who gets drafted and almost level them up mm-hmm. as savior and worship this person. It's like they haven't played a game yet. Right. <laughs> you don't even right. know what's about to happen. You know, you don't think I'm be any good. Is it going to be a bust? Mm-hmm. You know, or, or whatever it might be. But with God, we can look at his word and we see what he's done. Like you, you get his resume and when you read the resume, it's like, yeah. This one's it. This is the mm-hmm. one that's worthy of worship here. You know, who should be praised and honored. Uh, but the focus that we did this week was on God's attribute of his holiness. Um, his He's separate, right? He, he's, he's separate from us. And I really, my goal in the, in the sermon is I really wanted people to feel different from God. That, that's what I wanted. I, I wanted mm-hmm. everybody to sense that. I wanted us to know that. Like, there is a huge chasm separating you from God. And for us to think for a second that we could span that in any way, shape, or form of any quality that we have is just one of the most ignorant things that we could do. Um, and I know that that can be hard to hear. I know that for some it's like, oh, you know, you're really stepping on our toes today and doing this. Like, no, 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 I'm not trying to do that. That's not my goal. I just want us to see the honest truth of the how holy God is, right, and then how we're not. And because of that, that should cause us to worship him, especially looking then in light of the fact that he sent his son to die for us, all mm-hmm. this stuff that we kind of went into in it as well yeah and i think like for a person maybe initially listening to that 
of like what you said, focusing in on the holiness of God, of how different he is from us and how low we are in comparison to him. Like you went to Isaiah 6, looking at that situation where Isaiah is confronted with a vision of the Lord in the temple and his response is to fall down on his face in humility, saying, woe is me. For that to be our reaction <clears throat> as a wor- as an act of worship in that sense, that that's not normally what comes to our mind when we think of worshiping the Lord, of like, what attribute should I worship God for? Well, his holiness. But what that does is that causes me to, to bow my face low, to recognize how lowly I am. But I think that gets at the, the heart of what you referenced in Hebrews there, of the attitude you're to have is reverence and awe. And, I mean, what more will create reverence and awe in you than to recognize mm-hmm. how, just how high he is and just how low you are? Yeah, I think that's something that my generation, maybe the generation just above me too, has really hurt uh, the church with, um, with really subtle things. And I, this is going to sound very old and you know old fashioned, but it, my grandparents when they went to church, dressed the best they possibly could. You know what I mean? They, they washed up, and they went and and. My generation kind of looked at that. It looks at that as like you're just being pious and fake, but I don't think that's how it was with everybody. I think there was a sense of we're getting ready to go to church together to worship God. And if and I remember hearing this before. If I was going to go see the king or the queen, I would dress nicely. I would look the best I could. I would want to do that. I'd make sure my kids look good and that they're in order, right? Like stop, stop. You know, the king's mm-hmm. coming. Mm-hmm. And they would say. And that's what we're doing this morning. Mm-hmm. We're here to worship the king. And so why would I not dress my best? Why would I not look my best? Why would I not make sure my hair is combed, you know, and that um, I'm nice and clean walking in here? Uh, now, like I said, my generation, and I've even thought this too, it's like, who cares what I'm wearing, right? That's not what matters. What matters is my heart and all this stuff. But I think it has, uh, one of the side effects of that has caused us to lose some of that reverence and awe of what we're doing or or even like with our kids it's like oh this is family this is a safe place and we want you to have fun and do this and it's like some of the older people in our congregation see kids running around or doing something they're like they don't have reverence for this and we're like well this is just a building this isn't the church like there's no reverence here though they should honor this they should respect this right and you have this little different the thing and i think there's something to be said to the older generation i think they might be a little right with that is we've We've watered down the reverence and awe mm-hmm. um, some. I don't yeah. know what you guys think. Yeah, even like, you know, reading like reading the Puritans, like I remember when I was starting to get into, uh, you know, more Puritan theology and learning about historical theology, they, they would spend Saturday night, the, you know, preparing the family for the Lord's Day. They would have a separate, a set-aside time, you know, where the father would say, okay, kids, tomorrow's the Lord's Day. We need to prepare our hearts. Let's, you know, and they would have a time of prayer, and they would, they would search, search their hearts to kind of prepare for that entering into the sanctuary. And I think, yeah, I think we've lost that. We, we we're very flippant. We're very like, eh, whatever, yeah. you know. And uh, your 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 idea of like your checklist, you know, of like, yeah, we we're doing this check. And now we can go off and do whatever we want. And I think that's so true. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I think it's interesting to see how common it is that we overcorrect sometimes the previous generation's right. errors. Yeah. 
Um, because what's the error in the generation that you're talking that came before us? Maybe you know is that legalism? That's, maybe. It's legalism. Yeah, yeah, it's and right. that's what my generation saw mm-hmm. was all you care about is the way I look. You don't care about what I think, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't even know the God that you're coming to worship. All you feel like you're doing is you feel good that you were here, and you feel good that you dressed nice. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sure. Whereas, like, I don't like dressing like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, you're li- you're over here. You're dressing nice on Sundays, but you're living a hypocritical lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Well, the overcorrection to that is to care nothing <laughs> for what you act like in the presence of the Lord, or where He has laid out uh, very clear boundaries for you. You know, I actually was reading this morning in Second Samuel six, which is a great example where the ark is being brought into Jerusalem, and there's not an appropriate amount of reverence and awe mm-hmm. because Uzzah reaches up, touches the ark, he dies, and it was falling. It was falling. It wasn't like he was just like, I just yeah. want to touch this thing. It was falling, <laughs> but he dies because he disobeyed the Lord. Yeah. It, it, mm-hmm. The scripture actually says he made an error. Yes. in thinking that he was doing something uh, good. He sinned. Yeah, he sinned. <laughs> he yeah. So sinned. He, yeah. So he yeah. did that, yeah. and so that was he was missing the reverence and all. But it's interesting because a couple of verses later. The ark continues to be brought into Jerusalem. David is dancing, making himself look like a fool. His wife calls him out for it, but he it proves that David was actually doing the right thing and celebrating the ark coming into Jerusalem because judgment is spoken against his wife, and she doesn't have a child for the rest of her days. And so, but that's that seems weird almost that in one instance there's not a right amount of reverence and all, in another instance there's not a right amount of celebration. Well, in so, the, in that in that case though too, the problem was they weren't carrying it with the poles. Right. Yeah. You yeah. notice right after that yeah. they were not following the second commandment. Yeah, it was you on a do, cart, right? Yeah, they yeah. were. It was yeah. just being carried on a cart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They yeah. were not. They were doing whatever they thought was okay, yeah. and that's part of the, that's. Yeah, you, why would we carry this one? Right, what, the, the way God could carry it. Yeah, right. Sure. And so, right after that, it explicitly says sure. they carry poles, and David is saying every what six steps, sacrifice yeah. something, blood. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. um, yeah. So that that highlights the reverence and awe is not simply a mental attitude; it's doing what God says to do mm-hmm. and not going beyond that. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things, too, with this whole discussion about external things, I think one of the things that's interesting is that it shows when we've been studying ancient church history, there's a Gnosticism that comes about whenever we think it doesn't matter what I put on my body as long as my soul is right. That Mm. is a Gnostic heresy Mm. that emphasizes your internal soul apart from your body because what you, we all know this, what you wear does influence how you act. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I dress in my pajama pants and just walk around, if I was to show up at work, it's saying something about my work day in here in the office. Right. Yeah. But if I show up dressed up differently, that is probably going to influence my mental state and everything because we're body and soul. Mm-hmm. We're not simply a soul with a body. We are body and soul. And so I think also just that's why it's interesting with the the sanctification the thing here that goes on in Exodus 19, um, they're to wash themselves. Right. It's not simply get your hearts ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying we have to do all the ceremonial things here, but it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. The whole person was called to be uh, your family life, your individual life, body and soul. Get ready yeah. because God's coming. Yeah. And that is something I think that. Um, is worth reminding ourselves of the whole person needs to be 
Is there air blowing? Oh, I hear it. What is that? I don't know. It's Maybe the there's spirit. a tornado. It's the spirit. <laughs> you don't know where the wind <laughs> blows. Oh no! <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't yeah. either. Is that the aircon? I don't think it is. <laughs> I'm not breathing. I don't know. Anyways. Well, the spirit is referred to as the wind know. or the yeah. breath. Yeah. The ruach. Yeah. It just ruach. happened all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Say that a couple Sorry. Times. Go ahead, Tim. You were talking. No, I'm done. I'm well, done. I was, I was going to clarify, like, what I was saying earlier is that there's clearly a middle way beyond two extremes that I think sometimes people see is that, and that's what I was getting at with the overcorrection of like the generations that come before us versus like what my generation would more care for yeah. is that you can overcorrect because I think what, with what you were saying, Spencer, so like the, the community that I moved from here, it was a pretty poor community, a lot of poverty. And what we wouldn't tell somebody that's coming into our church would be, listen, you need to wear this. You need to wear this. You need to wear this. Sure to be acceptably worshiping God. Sure. Because that was actually something that kept a lot of people from going to church when we would invite them and to come. Even people here in Monroe would probably think the same of like, I don't have the proper clothes to be able to go to church. That's clearly incorrect thinking, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But it's sure. different than what you're saying. There, so, yeah, there's a, it's a hard balance because on the one hand, we want people to feel like, we, we, we obviously say ultimately, yeah, you can... Your, your clothes are not going to determine your eternal state. On the other hand, we want to make sure that the holiness of God is going to make people uncomfortable. And whenever you come into church, um, you're coming into a strange place. And we can't lessen that either. And I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but yeah. I think that, it, and I'm not, I, I agree with what you're saying, Scott. I just think, though, the overall emphasis, though, sometimes is we try everything we possibly can to make this understandable and the trans the reality is there is a there is a the gap between us and god is also the gap between the church and the world yeah whenever you come here yeah this we are the i mean we are the baptized people Mm -hmm. there is a difference and uh that that is that is we, we 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 want to explain the gospel clearly we want to share the gospel we want people to come to know the lord but also we can't there's going to be that that uh, awkwardness, uh, that holy awkwardness. We hope it's holy awkwardness, not a not just being mean sure. or judgmental or pharisaical, yeah. which is what you're talking about, which is a really big problem. Too. No, what I'm talking about with the previous generation specifically is to think that the holiness of God is determined in the clothes that you're wearing. Sure, that's what's pushed back. Like that's right. the very specific example I was talking about. Right, yeah. right. Is that's what's pushed back to against. Sure, in that sense. Sure, and you can say the same thing like. Long hair, tattoos, earrings. Yeah, you're no more stuff. spiritual right. just because you're you're rebelling right. against those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, two things come to my mind with that. One is James, uh, you let the rich have the good mm-hmm. seat, right? So that dresses with that when the poor are coming yeah. in here. Yeah. So you definitely have that to think about. Sure. But I also think about the widow and her two mites, mm-hmm. and Jesus saying, "Who gave more mm-hmm. today?" Right. right. This, this widow did, not mm-hmm. the rich man who gave a ton of it. Mm-hmm. And so there's this idea of where we are in our life and how we are then giving that to God. And so if, if I, if I come to church and I have a three piece suit on and I'm looking the best that I can and, but I'm doing it for the right reasons, then, then praise God to that. If somebody walks in here and they're wearing a ratty shirt and ratty shorts and 
the and they stink, right? And they come in here. We could say that's okay. That's just where they are. But we'd have to really ask them, like, is this really where you are? Do you have a nicer T-shirt? Do you have a nicer pair of shorts or jeans? Like, do you have access to take a shower or take a bath? You know, and it's like, yeah, I did, but I, you know, I was just doing. Well, I don't just want to be like, it's okay that you came like this today. It's like you should have done better. You could because you could have done better. Mm. You know, and like again, somebody's better might be better than mine, and that's okay. And they need to do that. I would say the same with giving, not just mm-hmm. our as we come to worship and reverence now, but even with with giving, right? I, I should give what I can, and so should that person who has a lot more money than me, probably going to give a lot more than me, but I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and he's doing what he's supposed to do, right? And, and this all falls under that. Mm-hmm. I, I really think that we all could do better with the reverence and awe. You know? And I think and, the bigger thing is underneath everything we're saying, I think, is is primarily attitude. That's yes. what God cares about. Yeah. But your attitude will show forth yes. in your visible mm-hmm. yes. uh, works, words, yeah. and to some extent the way you dress. Yeah, and I didn't mean it for, I didn't bring up dress so that we would talk right, about it the, for 15 minutes. But it does play out that way. Right. And we're not trying to be, again, people come in here dressed however, and that's perfectly fine, whatever. I don't even pay attention. But there is something I think to be said that we should ask that question. And I know that hearing that from my parents and my grandparents, I do think about that often when I come to church. It's like, Tim, how would it be if you were going to meet so-and-so? What would you look like? You are going to worship today and you should present yourself that way. I'm not getting dressed up so that people in the church notice me or whatever. It's like, I'm going to worship the King and I want to dress appropriately you know, as I do this. And don't get me wrong, there's times I dress more casual than other times or whatever. Uh, but it does come to that heart and to that attitude, and it can be reflected uh, in that, in the way. I just, <laughs> like you said, it, it plays out in our bodily things, you know. It, mo- most people that I that I know, it's like, hey, we're going to go to a, a Pistons game. They dress halfway decent. They don't have basketball shorts on in the cutoff. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, you're right. They're, they're going to dress halfway decent even just to go to a basketball game. You know, it's like, why are you doing this? Well, you know, that's that's what you do. It's a night out. It's a night out, and mm-hmm. I wanna I wanna kind of look nice. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to church. Yeah, shorts, t-shirt, good, good, good to go, or whatever, or some jeans or whatever. Yeah, I, it is it is reflected, and and again, that's just that's just a small part again of the reverence and all that we're talking about, but how that can then have an impact on us and how I just I just think it's played out over time generationally. And I think Scott, you said it well. The overcorrection, mm-hmm. and I just fear my generation made an overcorrection that has has hurt us in the reverence and awe to where we do approach God, Dave, as you said, with like a cuddly teddy bear, mm-hmm. and that's why I wanted the service to feel kind of heavy. Yeah, it's like there's definitely passages and verses that verses that we could have went to where we all left saying God's a cuddly teddy bear. We get to call him Abba Father. Mm-hmm. You know, like he gives us an inheritance and he loves us and he cares. All true. Mm-hmm. All true. But it's like, but we also have to have this other understanding, right? Of of look at God saves Israel from Egypt, pulls them out of Egypt, gets them and says, I need them to go to Mount Sinai. I want to show them myself. And it wasn't like, get all the food ready. Get the band ready. We're going to have a good time. I'm going to show them, and we're going to be together again. It wasn't that. It was like, I'm going to show them that I'm holy, and you need to tell them to stay away. Like, they're going to see me, yeah. but there's some rules. 
They're gonna, they're not going to do this. They're not going to do this. They're going to do this. And I found it interesting that Moses in Exodus 19, God comes, the mountain shakes, all this stuff, and Moses has to lead the people out. I just wonder in my head, are the people in their little tents cowering? Like, I don't want to go out here. Moses, God's like, Moses, go get them. It's time to come out. Right. You know, and right. Moses has to lead them out. And in my head, this is the way I'm thinking. I'm like, where's the line? Mm-hmm. When does the mountain start? Because you said if I touch the mountain, I'm going to die. Right. Where's the line? Right. Which rock are you talking about? Because right. I got to stay away from it. Well, and you're right, because um, right after God speaks the, the Ten Commandments to the whole nation, they're scared to death. And they say, Moses, you talk to God for <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah. And then God actually says, they're actually in a really good spot right now. <laughs> and I wish they always were acting and thinking this way. Yeah. And and what I think is interesting is in our, and, and I think in our current situation, we often have a, two things are incompatible, a reverence and awe and holiness combined with an amazing gratitude for grace. Sometimes to us, those things seem incompatible. But God here thunders on the mountain with the trumpet, all of his holiness showing forth. And then the preface to the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm your redeemer. Mm-hmm. I brought you out of the house of slavery. You're, my, you're free and you belong to me now. So God's awesome holiness is combined with a message of grace right away. Right. And that shows from this passage, those, th- those two things are not incompatible. Mm-hmm. A deep appreciation for God's grace and redemption and his holiness, the fact that, and even, even Hebrews does that, right? We have, we've come to the blood that speaks a better word than Abel, 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 but also uh, let us worship God with reverence and all for our God is still a consuming fire. So those things are still brought together in the, uh, together. All right. You're oh, done. Boy. Yeah. oh boy. <laughs> so, someone else now talk. Like someone else talk. <laughs> someone, awful. Someone else talk. <laughs> no, you're right. And I, you know, I had an interesting conversation after, uh, after service, I'm talking to a guy, he's in his thirties, I, I believe. And, uh, he was saying, you know, that's not something we hear much about God's holiness and the fear that it could put into us because of how unholy we are. He's, he was just talking about, you know, that comparison. And it was interesting where he went because where he went was how, if that's true, how Christian worship service is going to be so different than what the rest of the world does. And he said, and, he, and what he was saying, he, you know, he's talking, I'm just kind of happy he's saying what he's saying because I'm agreeing with the things he's saying. He's like, because God makes us holy through Christ, which means we're mm. set apart. Mm-hmm. So he said, kind of what you said, you said there was a chasm between God and sinful man. He goes, there's kind of a chasm between the church and sinners. And so when they come to a worship service, they should realize there's a chasm there, mm-hmm. that there's something different. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, and they should. And that is, <laughs> that is actually an evangelistic thing. That that's what we were that talking is about. Evangelistic. That's what he was talking. The law about, comes. Yeah. From, mm-hmm. No, I think that's that's because our our intuit our our intuition says make it make that chasm as less least as possible, mm-hmm. so we right. can evangelize. Yeah. But actually, the ordained way is the law convicts drives us to the gospel. So when people come from outside, they should feel that chasm. Hopefully, to hear the fact like what you preached. But here's the Lamb of God mm. who takes away the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. Believe in him. Take him. He's yours. Yes. 
and right. and both of those both of those they that's actually an amazing evangelistic strategy but not one i don't think that gets a lot of a lot of uh mm-hmm. press mm-hmm. and the sad thing is this you know trend for churches to try to match the world and say let's 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 you know pattern let's make it you know all the glitz and the glamour let's make it attractive mm-hmm. And where's the where's the difference? People that come in are not going to sense that there's something. The ecclesia, mm. the church, is something set apart. It's yeah. just like a show, and that's the sad thing that I think that, that mm. people are te- tempting are mm. tempted to go that direction. And not just church services. I yeah. mean, just even Christians in our lives, yes. right? We right. try to blend in, almost like we're wearing uh, cultural camo to be like this is this. Cultural I fit in. Camo. That's pretty that's good, wasn't wow. it? That just came up to me. That's good. That's catchy. Keep that. Keep that. Write that yeah, down. Catchy. Someone write that down. Spent, Scott. Scott. Write you're, that you're down. The, cultural. You're, you're I'll write Scott. that down right now. Cultural hey, camo. Youth camp next year. Cultural camo. Cultural camo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean. We we try to live our lives so ingrained into society, and we say the same thing. It's like, well, this is how I'm gonna be able to reach out to people. And again, like we've been talking about with all this stuff, there's a fine line to walk. Mm-hmm. What you wear to church, right? Nice, yeah. bad, blah, fine line to walk. Same, same in the world. Like, yeah. there are things you're gonna do that everybody's doing. Kids going to school, playing mm-hmm. sports, whatever it might be, sure. going to work. But there needs to be a set apart, different. Mm-hmm. And so, sometimes that is difficult to do because sometimes that does mean like saying. And again, this is so countercultural, and I think people get mad. And I even had people this week say, "I know you were talking about me." I'm like, "I'm really not." <laughs> But it was like <laughs> the only person that should say that is Walter. Because you mentioned it by name. I did mention it by name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But like one of the things that's different is you kind of are busy on Sunday morning. You should be. And you should hold that as a pretty sacred time. And that's odd to a lot of people. I mean, I had that with my kids. It's like, hey, will your son play on the basketball tournament? Yeah, I'm like, when is it? Well, it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I'm like, that's cool. He can do it. But Sunday he's not available till probably one o'clock. 1230. Are you fine with that? It's like, well, the championship game might be at this. He's going to miss. I'm like, we'll try to do it. If it's really early, maybe we could get him there at eight, but we have church. And that's weird. Mm -hmm. That is just weird to people. Well, what I was going to point out is that what you've done is make a helpful distinction in this series between, uh, shoot. General and specific. Yeah, the general and the specific. And what, what we're doing right now is we're pointing out that the difference, the chasm that we're mm-hmm. talking about between Christians and the world is not just found like the work, like engaging in a worship service. A lost person coming into a church is going to feel weird, yeah, to them to some extent. Yeah, to some. extent. I mean, extent. we want them to feel welcomed, right? Yeah, we want them. To it's feel- going to feel strange. But what we're pointing out is that there's also the general sense in where a non-Christian looking at our lives, or if if we were to become friends with a non-Christian family. There's going to be some areas where our priorities clash and something just doesn't work, right? And, and to some extent, I think like we and our family have had to become a little more comfortable with this. It's going to be difficult to have real, like long-lasting, good, solid friendships with non-Christian families because of that. Mm-hmm. Because there's those different priorities. We have different schedules. Yeah. Uh, we enjoy different things. We don't get invited to all of the parties mm-hmm. because they specifically don't invite us to certain parties mm-hmm. where certain things mm-hmm. won't happen. Yeah. But they know that. But like you said, that's an evangelistic ask. Mm-hmm. Well, you said that, Spencer. Yeah. That's that's a un, that's a good thing mm-hmm. too because that right. family knows like right. where they can go. Right. Like they know what it looks like mm-hmm. to live as a Christian. Mm-hmm. I and, think what proves this too mm-hmm. is our kids, because I know like my kids see that 
because their friends are their friends and families are invited to the gathering mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we're not mm-hmm. you know and it's like well we want to go what if i just go it's like well what are they doing i don't know if that's a good environment for you to be in you know what i mean and of course if i wanted to be the cool fun dad be like yeah let's go you know, go and have fun but there's a differentness of us but it's amazing how god and thousands and thousands and thousands of children have used that differentness right to show them his differentness and how much he loves them and cares right. for them and god has used that in their lives to save them mm-hmm. right and uh he does that with our children but he also does that Sometimes with our friends and with our mm-hmm. family and with our neighbors, um, because that's the evangelistic strategy there. Yeah. yeah. And so hopefully we just grasp a little bit this week about God's holiness and difference than us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just perfectly moral. He's perfectly upright. He's never sinned. He's he's never had an error in judgment. Nothing, nothing like that. And then from our very beginning... We've been the opposite. We sin. We fall short. Every day we struggle. And I, I remember standing there preaching that sermon this week. You know, I sometimes I love my family's there, but sometimes I hate when my family's there because I'm like looking at them and they're like, somebody, you know, Pastor Scott or Dave or Spencer should be preaching this week. Look up dad up there. What is he talking about? Just yesterday he did this, you know, or my wife, you know, like, oh my gosh. And you just feel so hypocritical in a message and that was this one, you know, trying to talk about the, the holiness of God. And, and then I'm telling the church, it says in first Peter, be holy, live holy lives, knowing very well that I, I, I struggle at that. I can't, I constantly am falling short of it. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes when I think I'm doing something good, God reveals something in my heart that shows once again, selfishness and pride and arrogance to where I thought my good was good. And I'm just being reminded again, no, it's, it's not as good as you think. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel that, right? And I hope our congregation, I hope those people listening now know that we feel that too. Mm-hmm. And so don't take messages like that as Pastor Tim being hard on everybody. No, I'm just trying to share with you the truth, and I'm in line with you. It's just, it just happens to be I'm the one that God has called to be that mouth up there at that moment. And it's such, it's, I would say it's more awkward for me than it is for you. (laughs) (laughs) And I sense that, but I think it was a good thing for us to feel together when we are trying to talk about worship and especially the public gathering of when we get together. I mean, when we walk into that room together to worship, we all come in there so dirty, so unclean, so unrighteous but we're gathering together to worship God. And the question then is, how in the world can I worship God this morning with all this sin, with all of this destruction on my mind and on my heart? And when I look around at all these other people, they're just like me. How in the world are we going to give acceptable worship this morning? And the answer to that question for all of us is what we talked about in Ephesians and what we talked about at the end of the message on Sunday is we gather together in the name of Christ, and that's the only reason that we can do that. He's the one who's made us righteous. He's the one who's made us holy. He's the one that causes our worship to be acceptable to God. Just like the blood sacrifice that was needed to be placed on the Ark of the Covenant and on the mercy seat, when God would look and see that blood, he would say, this is accepted and you are forgiven again because of this. When we gather together, you can almost picture that in your head. God the Father is looking down on us, and yes, he sees Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, but he sees us as blood-soaked and stained Mm -hmm. sinners saved by his grace. And... and 
the Colossians passage we read yeah. says that. Mm-hmm. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death mm-hmm. in order to present you holy and blameless mm-hmm. and above reproach before him. Yeah. Through the body of his death. Yeah. And so that puts us all on the same level to kind of put a to kind of put a bow on all this. If you come in here on Sunday and you have a t-shirt on, you have shorts on and some ratty sandals, and I come in with a suit and all of this, we're covered in the same blood. If you are a Christian and I'm a Christian, we're covered in the same blood. Mm. I'm not any better than you. You're not any better than me, right? We are worshiping together, and I want to come and give my best. If that includes what I wear, how I comb my hair, taking a shower the night before or in the morning, right, giving offering, everything I can. If I'm doing that and if you are doing that to the best of your abilities together, then we're being faithful in our worship. Whether I give more money than you, you give more money, whatever. You sing better than me, louder than me, whatever. If we're giving our all to the Lord and worshiping him because of his holiness, his righteousness, and the fact that he would allow us to even worship him, right? That's what we gather together around. And as we move forward in this series, the question we want to ask is, how do we then worship him together? Because he he laid out for Israel in Exodus 19, you're going to come. Here's some rules. We have that too in our worship. There are some rules that we should follow and some things that we need to make sure that we are doing and that we are respecting. And because of the respect, the reverence and all that we have for God, we must, we must be willing to say, what do you want us to do? Because that's what, that's what we want to do. Nothing less, nothing more. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and I think that's the appropriate response. And so hopefully throughout this series, we'll do our best to, to look at those questions and to answer those questions. And, and I do hope that God will work on all of our hearts and all of our, all of our minds. This might be a series that you've never sat through before. You've never really thought about worship, especially in like the public gathering of how it should be done. Mm -hmm. You know, how should we order a service? What should we sing? What should, should we sing? Right. I mean, any questions, what should the preaching look like and all these different things? What has God called for us to do when we gather together? is an important question because he is an, a holy God and we are not. And so we have to be able to, to answer these questions. All right, you guys got anything else? You sure? Nothing. All right. Well, we uh, look forward to seeing you this coming Sunday as we gather together. Hopefully we'll see you uh, this week, Lord willing. If not, I hope that you have a blessed week in the meantime. God bless.